Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. Podcast talking all things Disney with your hosts El John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast, the show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's playing in theaters, and what's going on in the multiverse of entertainment. I'm El John Go, longtime musician, Marvel, Disney. Star Wars and pop culture fan, fanatic. And you can email me, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Al John, yeah, it's another week, and we're we've got part two of the Matt O'Callahan uh, interview yeah. dropping today, which is fantastic. And by the way, I had lunch with Matt last week. Oh wow, how's he doing? He's doing great, and uh, he was he was really thrilled that uh, he he came on to the show and had a great time with us. I just love how we do these interviews and. They just open up and they're just, it's just like having a great coffee talk, you know, just sitting around, just uh, shooting a breeze about life and about their careers and stories. And that's what I love about this show, just sitting back and listening because you gain so much insight and personality from the people that make all of this great content. You know, and and what's so much fun is I I know all of these folks, most of them really well, uh, and I've known them for decades. And so catching up with them and having a relaxed conversation, it allows our listeners to almost be a fly on the wall. That's what I love about it. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. And uh, I think that's why why people dig it. And uh, we had some great comments we're going to talk into in just a little bit. But other than Matt, we've got some entertainment news and stuff that's going on. Um, How was your week, though? Everything good? Yes, it was a busy week. I'm uh, getting ready uh, to head up to Maine Ooh. that I like I do every year. I love it. So uh, and we should tease to our, our listeners that uh, we are going to take a little two week break and have some vintage shows running. That's right. We're going to post some uh, classic vault content so be sure to catch some of the early days of Skull Rock podcast. You know, we I'm, I'm thrilled that we can actually say it because, 
You know, uh, fans know that you and I love getting together every week, and it really is a joy to do the show with you every week, Dave. I learn so much, and I just same here, same here. I love it, Al John. I mean, we we have so much fun with this show. Yeah, it is. It's it's great. So sit back and relax. This week is going to be amazing. The next couple weeks, we'll do some uh, best of clips, and uh, I know that everyone's going to love it, especially if you're just tuning in. And I just have to remind everybody that we love interacting with you all. Um, you you are the reason why we continue to do this show for free every single week. So please feel free to send us those emails, give us those five-star reviews, and uh, just keep that comment box full because we love to discuss stuff. Speaking of comments, shall we just launch into it? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Answers your email. One of our... Uh, listeners tad in virginia ended up hitting you up over linkedin dave yeah you know he says hey dave i only just discovered your skull rock podcast and have been enjoying listening to the interviews great stuff i particularly enjoyed the three-part interview with ron husband ron is such a great guy he really is i mean he's just terrific um he went on to say, I teach storyboarding and character design at Regent University in Virginia, and Ron has very kindly spoken to my students via Zoom several times. I laughed when I heard his bird chirping in the background during your interview. During one Zoom meeting we had, uh, he had to stop and feed the bird because it was making so much noise before he could resume his talk. Ron's daughter lives uh, in Chesapeake, Virginia, where my wife and I live. He spent an entire afternoon with me last summer while visiting his daughter. We uh, had lunch. I took him to, uh, to show him the Regent campus. True to form, when I picked him up at his daughter's house that afternoon, he was waiting with a sketchbook and pen in hand. During lunch, Ron sketched the wait staff and other patrons. It was a real treat and a rich learning experience for me to get to spend that time with him. He even signed my quick sketching and steam steam steamboat school books for me a brilliant artist and very kind and generous man keep the podcast coming tad in virginia he sent that to me through linkedin and i have to tell you tad we appreciate you listening and spread the word you know i think i think our show is required listening for anybody who's an animation student i, I you think know? so i think you're so hearing too. from professionals in the business yeah 100 and and ron is such a just a class act but not only that but he is an artist in every truest sense of the form i mean the fact that he's at the ready with his sketchbook in hand ready to draw at any time and always looking to capture those slices of life that we take for granted uh he captures it through his own lens and it's just an inspiring thing to see an artist that's always uh, doing that you know yeah and, and by the way last week i saw um uh, Ron Husband at a screening of Andreas uh, Andreas Deja's uh, short film Mushka. Yeah, uh, which is going to be in you know a competition in the festivals this coming fall. Oh, it's already in the festivals, I should say, but uh, the rest of this year. And uh, guess what? Ron came into the theater. What was he holding? A sketchbook a and a pen. Of course, it's it, it, it's it's part of his his wardrobe. I love it. It really is. You I know, love it. so it's it's so fantastic. And by the way, Al John, we did get another note. Okay. Uh, this one, very short. It just it, it was sent through Facebook, a direct message to me. 
just finished listening to the Skull Rock podcast featuring Randy Cartwright, part one and two. This was a fantastic interview. What a talented guy. And that was from Ted and Gail in Temecula, California. And I have to say, Randy Cartwright was fantastic, and it was a great interview to have him on the show. So much fun there. I mean, these guests that we have are just just a wealth of just so much stuff, and they bring a smile to my face, and I'm glad that they do to our listeners as well. And once again, I encourage you. Go ahead, Dave. Oh, no, I I, I was just going to say, Al, John, uh, and you probably just going to say it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're just discovering the Skull Rock podcast, we have a whole a whole archive of interviews. Yeah. So these notes that are coming in, you know, we did the interview with Ron Husband back in February. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we did the Randy Cartwright interview a couple months ago. Yep. Uh, so you can always go to uh, the Skull Rock podcast on any of the platforms and peruse our uh, archive for the various artists and guests we've had on the show. Yeah, certainly. And I encourage everybody to do it. You know, they say on Spotify that our listeners are time travelers, which means that they go back in, in, in the show archive and they just listen and listen and listen. And we have a lot of people just discovering the show. So, um, yes, you've got years to check out. So please check out that interview with Ron Husband and Randy Cartwright all in the vault. And uh, keep those DMs and those emails coming once again. Leave us the voicemail, too, there in the show notes. there's a You just tap a little section that says leave us a voicemail and we'll play it in an upcoming show right here on Skull Rock Podcast. I remembered to play the sound effect this week, Dave. Aren't you proud of me? Excellent. Look at this. We have a flawless (laughs) show going. (laughs) It's the picks of the week, Dave. You know, it's been busy for us, but uh, Dave, you were able to catch up on some great streaming and uh, movie watching. What did you end up seeing this week? I absolutely, I went to see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 in IMAX. And Al John, I want to tell you, this past weekend was opening weekend. Uh, This is the best action movie I have seen all year. Oh my. Wow. This is this is off the charts this movie as far as the action goes and the stunts that they're doing. It is unbelievable and you have to see this on a big screen. I would encourage anybody out there listening go see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 either in IMAX or on a regular movie screen, it is just a thrill ride, nice. Al John, an absolute thrill ride. It's probably one of the best Mission Impossible movies out of all seven. Ooh, high praise. Um, I was on the edge of my seat a couple of times. Some of the stuff that they have done in this movie is just absolutely amazing. And on top of that, a lot of it is practical effects. Ooh. You know, really being done. And it is, it's incredible to see. I mean, there was a round of applause at the end of this movie uh, when I saw it in the theater. So if if people get a chance, go see this. It's nonstop action. Uh, Tom Cruise delivers and delivers big for the movie going audiences. That's high, once again, high praise and. I can't wait to see it myself, believe it or not. You know, I'm a big fan of the Mission Impossible franchise. And we're going to talk about some action films coming up, but that's great, man. Um, another reason Tom Cruise understands his his mission, pardon the pun, 
of entertaining fans and bringing these big, high-stake action films uh, to the masses, and they come out in droves. So uh, congratulations to the entire team over there. Yeah, and, you know, this is this is seriously, this is a uh, a film that you really can't watch on a small screen. The magnitude of some of the effects and to get the immersive experience, you have to see this in a movie theater. Um, Aside from that, um, I made a major blunder last week, Al John. Uh, I was talking about The Righteous Gemstones season three. Yeah. And I said it was on Hulu. It's not on Hulu. It's on Max. Ah, There you go. Uh, And I'm surprised that uh, none of our listeners crucified me for that. Um, You know, I I was going to mention that on the show, but I just left it alone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, that's okay. The Righteous Gemstones season three is on Max. Yeah. Uh, and I would encourage anybody who uh, wants to see a hilarious parody of uh, these mega churches, watch the Righteous Gemstones. Um, you can see season one, two, and now three on uh, Max. Uh, so do that. Nice. Um, I also watched uh, Endeavor season nine. Uh, which is PBS Masterpiece Masterpiece Theater. Okay. Uh, and it's really three episodes, and it kind of wraps up the Endeavor series. Uh, really well done. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're a fan of Masterpiece Theater uh, productions, um, you're going to love this. Um, I did. I thought it was uh, terrific. And then, Al John, mm-hmm. I finished watching season three of Picard. So I've watched the entire series and uh, I got to tell you, they did an incredible job on that series. It was like why every episode was film quality. Yeah. You could have watched it in a movie theater. Yeah. Um, just high production value, great storyline, great arc across each season. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I would highly recommend it to our listeners. Picard season three is such a love letter to the fans that have put in so many hours into the Star Trek franchise over time. I know I felt that way and a few times because I followed these characters. And, you know, as I said, it's a part of my fabric, Dave. I I remember my father taking me to to like three or four different Star Trek conventions when I was in high school. It meant a lot to me because he shared that love of Star Trek and wanted to support his son and make him happy. And when I sit back and I watch it, I just got all the feels of watching Star Trek as a kid and watching this is a great, not only story by people and showrunners like Terry Metalis that know the franchise of these beloved actors who stepped into these roles once again, giving us all the feels, but also a way to take the budget of a streaming series and make it as cinematic as possible with the interior shots of the film, the music, everything about it. That's how you do a streaming series. You take what you have, what we can do. We'd shoot it on the confines of a bridge. We shoot in the confines of these corridors in the starship. We have great visual effects, but you maximize every single moment so that it makes sense and there are stakes. You set them up and you pay it off. And some of these things have been paid off over decades and decades, and it's so great to see, so I'm glad you dug it. Yeah, no, I I really liked it. And, and by the way, I would say to our listeners, if you're not big Star Trek fans, I'm not off. I'm I'm not a 
off the charts Star Trek fan, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I have seen most of the Star Trek uh, movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've seen actually all of them. Yeah. I've seen the series, uh, the original, multiple times. Um, and I would say that with Picard, you don't really need to be a, a Star Trek fan. No. You could pick this up uh, at the beginning of season one and you'll get right into it. Um, that's all I can say about it. It, it. it was a it was a great ride for three seasons and I was glad I was able to watch it all. That's awesome. I love it. Well, Dave, uh, the wife and I did go out to the movies this week. We did, did see. We saw Insidious, the Red Door. You <laughs> know we had, had to. to. You know Somebody we had, had to. to. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, it's great that the kids are finally at that age where we can, you know, put them in, uh, you know, babysitters for for a few hours so we can just kick out the jams. And uh, we love horror, and the Insidious is a great franchise. You know, the Lamberts are back. Um, they're delving deep into the demons that haunted them for the past three films. The original cast is back. Patrick Wilson, uh, once again, knocking out of the park. I will say this, that this is out of the whole franchise. This is the weakest of them, but it's still very enjoyable having said that. So go in. If you're a fan of the franchise, uh, it's great. Now you don't have to, just like Dave said about Star Trek. You don't have to watch all the insidious films to go out there and enjoy a great um, thriller slash horror film. Um, so there you go. This is, uh, this is a lot of fun. Seven out of 10 for me, you know, not too shabby. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. But, um, uh, secret invasion on Disney plus, uh, this series had been simmering in the background for me. This has not been a, um, and I guess a lot of it is just my personal expectation. So I have to kind of temper that because secret invasion in the comics was a huge multi crossover event. Who can you trust? You know, is iron man in the comic book, actually a scroll has been working to, you know, to overthrow the earth, uh, stealing secret powers and things of that nature. Uh, you know, that was the intrigue of the comic book. Now you have it here at a much smaller scale. And that to me if it wasn't called secret invasion, it would be great because first of all, Samuel L. Jackson is brilliant. He's always great. Don Cheadle is brilliant. The entire, you know, the Mickelson and everybody in there is just amazing. So the show in and of itself is great. Are there limitations because they can only have so many actors and not a big name Avenger or Avengers in this uh, series? Yes. Which is a drawback, which I I told Kristen, I said, listen, um, you know, that they're, their cutbacks or, you know, they're, they're constrained uh, by their budget. But when you open the door to the Avengers film, let's go all the way back to the very first Avengers. Once you open that door where all the characters know each other and interact with each other, the fact that they can't pick up the phone. Okay. As a crude example, and say, Hey Thor, you got to help me out in this or Hey Spider-Man, you got to help me out in this. It's difficult to tell those stories because it's not a comic book. Right. And so those, but those limitations aside, this finally it kicked up enough steam for me to go, okay, I'm ready now. I'm ready. And a couple more episodes will be done with the series. 
and I can't wait to see what happens next. But they really ratcheted up in this uh, this past week's episode. So, well, uh, good. I'm I, I'm going to catch up on it at some point. Uh, I'm waiting for more episodes to drop because I feel like when I watched the first one, I really wanted to see two episodes. So I'm waiting for uh, three and four before I jump back in and, and I'm going to watch them together. Well, they did announce this week that they're doing that with Ahsoka. That's going to be launching on Disney plus here in a couple of weeks with uh, Rosario Dawson uh, with star Wars. So star Wars Ahsoka two episodes when they launch. And I'm glad good. that they're finally doing good. that so we can get I, a good taste. I'm so glad, uh, I'm glad they're doing that. Absolutely. What are you streaming this week? Let us know. We'll talk about it in a future episode. Skull Rock Podcast. This week in Disney and pop culture. Oh, Dave, say it ain't so. Say it ain't so. ABC could be on the chopping block for Disney? As Bob Iger brings Disney back to deal-making business, um, you know, just a week or so ago, uh, Disney had issued that Bob Iger is going to be re-signed for another few years. What, four years? Right. Well, uh, I, I they're taking them out to 2026. 2026. So yeah, they so they they picked them up for two more years. And now, John, we were talking about this. I I, I think we mentioned on the show that uh, it, they were probably going to extend it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I actually thought it was going to be maybe extended by a year, but they extended to two years. Um, he ha- he has a big mess to clean up. Uh, yep. And I and I really do think uh, with all the articles I've read over the past week. I really think that this, you know, his first tenure as CEO was marked by uh, acquisitions, you know, mm-hmm. Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. I think that this second tenure is probably going to be marked by uh, selling, mm-hmm. uh, by spinning off um, uh, assets that are, are not core to the business. And I think they're looking at uh, traditional linear TV as not being core to the business. And it's not just ABC, it's FX, it's Nat Geo. Um, So I think, I think everything, yeah, I think everything is on the table uh, right now. And, and, you know, sort of the big, the, the big hangover for the company is the massive $54 billion in debt uh, that they took on when they uh, bought the uh, Fox assets. Yep. Yep. And of course now everybody's licensing their assets, including Disney. Yeah. You know, so, you know, but that's, that's one of those things that you gamble big because you, you are really trying to figure out what is the future of entertainment and as yeah. the biggest media giant that's out there today, uh, Disney had a strong, hard look and said, you know what? We're going to double down on this. And Disney Plus, yes, the brainchild of, of Bob Iger, at least done over his watch. And there are some things that, that some missteps and you can't help but think pandemic. You can't help but think, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the way people are consuming entertainment these days. Uh, those things changed at a very rapid pace faster than the companies could deal with the technology. So yeah, I look, I, I have full confidence in Bob Iger. I'm glad the board extended his contract out for two more years. And, uh, you know, he, he just has a lot to do and, and, and let's not forget, you know, he has to fix the animation, uh, divisions, 
you know, both Pixar and Walt Disney Animation Studios, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they're kind of broken at the moment, you know, and they at some point he has to focus on those divisions and do something. Right. Well, speaking of Disney and what's going on, I, I, I figure let's go ahead and just hop into this Haunted Mansion premiere. Um, this is the first one that they held without the actors. Um, they're on strike, Dave. And yeah, the writers but are on you know strike. something? Look, I, I don't blame them for doing this Haunted Mansion premiere without the stars. Um, it, you know, life goes on. Uh, you you can't postpone certain things, um, you know, to to not um, uh, release a movie. Uh, would be a disaster. It would, it would cost millions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have to move forward. And if that means doing a premiere without any stars, so be it. You know, they're making the best of it. And I, I give them credit for that. But, you know, these films have to go out uh, and and hopefully they'll do well. Although it, it is troubling that um, uh, some of these big tentpole movies are opening to soft box office. That's true. But. I think as we saw with Elemental, uh, they can gain steam over their run. And absolutely, so, absolutely. And that's what you hope is gonna happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're also very lucky they were able to capture some content with the stars to at least put online. I saw a teaser trailer with Rosario Dawson as well as um uh Lakeith Sanfeld and Owen Wilson and oh gosh, who else was out there? But anyway, they were out there in the park at the Haunted Mansion just shooting content um, probably before the the actor strike happened. So they were able to do that. And, uh, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis, of course. So she was out there, too, and going to the Haunted Mansion and and talking and dressing up as the hotel staff or the mansion staff. So they were able to at least get some of that in there. But, uh, yeah, life goes on. And. Uh, this strike is affecting you and I were talking about how much this is affecting the entire, uh, you know, the ecosystem of Hollywood right now. Well, you know, I, I gotta tell our listeners that when, when there's a strike in Los Angeles with the writers and the actors, as there is now, um, you can see it in the restaurants. Uh, you know, I had some lunches last week. And the the restaurants were were virtually empty. You know, it was a couple of tables. Um, people aren't spending money. Uh, so there's a ripple effect when these um, when these strikes happen. Uh, they affect uh, all the ancillary businesses that that rely on the industry. You know, restaurants and you know, uh, car services, and you know, the list goes on and on. And uh, the longer this these strikes last, the more uh, it hurts the economy. Um, and I, I really pray that uh, the writers and actors aren't out for 15 months like they were with the last writer strike. Yeah, we can only hope. You know, I've seen a lot of Hollywood big shots uh, mouth off and say certain things about the strike. And instead, it, it it just it it just is crazy to me to think that they would have anything negative to say as these negotiations go on. I just feel that it would be best in saying that we are confident we will reach a decision that is amicably accepted by all parties sooner than later. You would think, you know. Yeah. But um, 
You know, sometimes people are digging their own graves in regards to this and getting a lot of flack for it. But having well, said you know, that, yeah. I have to tell you, though, Al John, you know, all of these streaming services are trying to figure out what the new economics are and how to make money and be profitable. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, maybe what's going to wind up happening is they're just going to burn the town down and rebuild. You know, maybe they are going to, you know, the studios are just going to dig the heels in and just say, let them all go broke. Uh, and at some point they'll buckle, you know, uh, but I think everybody has to be realistic. And and I do feel like, you know, the writers and the actors, uh, you know, the you know Fran Drescher this past week, the president of uh, SAG-AFTRA. Uh, she she was pointing to, you know, the uh, immense pay packages that that the CEOs are getting paid. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, tens of millions of dollars a year. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and you've got these people who are creating the content. That is generating revenue saying, hey, we want a piece of it. Uh, we want a piece of that. Uh, and, and, and I sympathize with them, you know, I mean, it's the content creators who are getting screwed all the time. Sure. Sure. Well, uh, we hopefully, hopefully we'll, we'll just keep everybody updated when these, uh, this kind of things happen when these are updated. I tell you, um, who is doing a service to the box office is Tom Cruise, love him or hate him. Tom Cruise and mission impossible. As you said, dead reckoning part one is projected to cross $78 million dollars over its five-day debut, that is going to be huge, and they're looking um, to do a lot more. I think when it's all said and done, I think it's going to open very strong, uh, Dave. I mean, Tom Cruise brings him in like no other. Top Gun, you know, had a $126 million three take, and uh, he knows how to bring people through the through the turnstiles for sure. Listen, this movie is going to do fantastic. This movie's going to have legs. When people start talking about this film around the water cooler on Monday mornings, people are going to go out and see this film. You have to see this in a theater. You know, I, I can't stress that enough. The, the type of effects, the type of action in this movie is breathtaking. And you can only experience this on a big screen. Really, only on a big screen. It's absolutely amazing. Well, uh, that followed by Sound of Freedom, which is uh, you know ringing bells across the United States. Uh, that is going to be interesting to see how that film tracks, as well as, of course, Sony's Insidious, the Red Door horror film. Uh, and then Indiana Jones' Dial of Destiny with FASA X and Elemental, uh, which earned another, what, $2.6 million dollars? Uh, bringing its domestic haul to 119 million. That's not bad, guys, in this post pandemic era. For which film? Elemental. Elemental. Okay. Yeah. So it's, 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 still, yeah, it's but still I mean, that's a, that's a far cry from what a Pixar film uh, had done. Oh, well, you, you know, know, it, it cost 200 million to make. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, right now they're not making any money. No, they're not. Uh, I tell you what could possibly bring more people to sign up for streaming over there at Disney Plus is this Ahsoka trailer. Have you seen it, Dave? Yeah, it's fantastic. Whoa. I can't Cinematic. wait to see this series. I feel that if anyone can bring Star Wars back, back to its glory, it's Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni has spent 
so many years now, probably almost two decades now, of course, uh, in the transition time of Disney and Star Wars, but also uh, in the end days of Lucasfilm and the years that that came, uh, George Lucas was preparing to to sell off the the property, and uh, Dave Filoni learned from the master himself and. I feel that there's so much of that Star Wars universe that could be told because he knows it uh, second to only George Lucas. So check out the Ahsoka trailer. It's uh, now reaching, what, six, almost eight, uh, seven million views now. But it's going to be premiering with two episodes dropping, Dave, August 23rd on Disney+. Thank God. uh, Thank God they're dropping two episodes. I can't wait. I can't wait. All right, Dave. You know, we talked about Dead Reckoning with Tom Cruise. How about Die Hard fans celebrating the film's 35th anniversary? Probably Another what, 35th anniversary film this year, huh? I tell you, man, it was a good year for movies. Yeah, uh, we had people, Roger Rabbit and Die Hard. And Die Hard, you know, probably my favorite non-traditional Christmas film. You know, it's not Christmas until the Nakatori building explodes. Uh, and you got to <laughs> love it. Uh, Yippie Kaye and all that good jazz. Uh, this film actually is a high mark in action films for me. One of my favorites. And Bruce Willis as John McClane is just an amazing uh, action hero. And, of course, Alan Rickman, rest in peace, as Hans Gruber, of course, taking over the Nakatori building as it explodes. But what a great, uh, what a great film. I can't believe it's been 35 years. And it still holds up. It's still a great movie to watch. Absolutely. And, of course, Die Hard is a 20th century studio, so you know what that means. It's Disney. That's right. So Disney's banking on it. Uh, It turns 35 years old, and that leads us into, and and by the way, it's one of my favorites of all time, Die Hard. Um, But it leads us to this Variety article that lists the top 50 action films of all time. Now, we don't necessarily talk a whole lot about action films uh, on this podcast, but Dave, you know, you have over recent years uh, talking about your love for 007, your love for uh, things like Dead Reckoning uh, with Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. Dave, you've looked at maybe the list, kind of screened it a little bit. The top 10 films are a little bit surprising, but also not. Uh, from my standpoint, you want to run down maybe yeah, the top 10? I, I mean, you know, something I, I was looking at like the top 20 films because at number 17, you yeah. got Terminator 2. Well, you want to just, want to just talk about the top 20 just real quick. You just, yeah. Just talk you about know, the top uh, number 16 is, is the good, the bad and the ugly from 1966 with Clint Eastwood. Yeah. That is such a classic Western. Yeah. You know, um, I'm just jumping around. Number 14, 1938, The Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. Yes. I mean, this is a movie you want to see on a big screen. I have not had <laughs> the opportunity to see this one uh, on a, on a you know, movie screen. Uh, and I'd love to. I'm hoping TCM does something with it at some point. And also it's uh, very people. People have uh, their imaginations have been launched. It's influenced so many. I mean, Earl, any of Earl Flynn's roles, but definitely Robin Hood. Yeah, no, this is a fantastic film. Uh, 13, number 13 is Kill Bill, volume one, mm-hmm. classic. Number 12, James Bond, Goldfinger from 1964. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, coming in at number 11, Speed with Keanu Reeves. Yep. Right? Oh, I love uh, that. I mean, what a what a terrific movie! Number ten, uh, nineteen sixty eight, Bullet with yes. Steve McQueen. 
Oh yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a classic film in that, you know, the <laughs> Ford Mustang, uh, you know, racing around San Francisco and popping off the top of those Hills. It's really uh, uh, every, every time you see something like that, you think about bullet because it's that it, it is, it's about that, the car chasings and jumping and popping off those Hills. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. Number nine is uh seven samurai yes. uh, from 1954. Uh, the Kurosawa masterpiece influenced uh, star Wars. Yeah. And kill absolutely. bill and kill bill <laughs> and kill bill. Yeah. Uh, uh, number eight aliens. Oh, hard to beat that uh, with Sigourney Weaver, the quintessential uh, Cameron, yeah. the quintessential, I would say action female here, heroine. I would say. Yeah. It really puts Sigourney Weaver on the map. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, number seven is the matrix from 1999 again yeah. with Keanu Reeves. Oh yeah. Number six. Okay. Who can forget Popeye Doyle, Gene <laughs> Hackman's character in the French connection from 1971. Yeah. What a great character. What a great actor. What a great film. Yeah, you know, we think that, uh, you know, Gene Hackman in his uh, long career, uh, this really, I think, cemented him in a lot of people's minds as like the man, you know? Yeah. And, and number five is Enter the Dragon from 1973 with Bruce Lee. Uh, oh. This is, you know, he had already been in three blockbuster films from Hong Kong, you know? I mean, this really I mean, is this really is the film that would spawn an entire uh, industry of Hong Kong kung fu and karate movies to come. I mean, this is this is the prototypical film. So yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Number four, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Oof. original from 1981, from Spielberg and George Lucas, starring Harrison Ford as uh, the title character. I mean, this is probably one of the best in the series. Although I I would say that the it was at number three with. Uh, um, junior <laughs> yes right sean Number connery three with, with sean connery last crusade uh, which yeah. is also really good uh but you know the original one because it's the original was a great film uh-huh yeah and then coming in at number three is the 1959 north by northwest uh from alfred hitchcock with Cary grant uh i mean what what a terrific film this is it, yeah. if you get it if you haven't seen some of these films i i would tell you to really seek them out you could probably rent them on prime if they're not oh, available yeah. on one of the streaming services yeah you coming know, in oh yes, i would have to ahead. say really quick though but because north by northwest is not your typical film I mean, yes great action sequences of course but I, I always thought it was more of a thriller. So the fact that it was here is really surprising to me. Um, but it's something that I need to kind of uh, look at again because it's been years since I've seen it. Yeah, no, this is a really, uh, I think, fantastic movie. Awesome. Uh, coming in at number two is Die Hard Oof. from 1988. Yes, the original. So. Right starring Bruce so. Willis and Alan Rickman. Yeah. I mean, you know, what a, what a great film. Number one. Yeah. I was a bit surprised I by this. I was surprised by this too. But the road warrior from Ooh. 1981, uh, George Miller's Mad Max uh, yeah. was, you know, uh, a, a Hell's Angels movie gone psychotic is yeah. how they put it. Yeah. And uh, this is a Mel Gibson vehicle that really put Mel Gibson on the map. Oh, yeah, certainly. You know, yeah. what I'm surprised, though, what I'm surprised, though, in the top 20 that we didn't see a Sylvester Stallone film. 
Yeah, I was I was a bit surprised by that. Where's too, Rambo? Where's yeah. Rambo? I mean, there are some glaring omissions that are later on in the list, of course. But you, you know, though the the thing I would say about these lists is. You know, they're they're somebody's opinion. Yeah. You know, they're they go and ask, uh, you know, a few hundred people or whatever, you know, or 10 people, you know, so you, you have to take these lists with a grain of salt. I think that there was uh, quite a number of films that, you know, I'm not seeing on these this this particular list, you know, Mad Max Fury Road from 2015 mm-hmm. that came in at, at number 28. It's a great film. Um, though. Yeah. 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 You know, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol comes in at number 30. Well, guess what? I would probably put that higher on the list. Yeah. Terminator you know? 2 is at 17. You know, I was like, you look at the Mount Rushmore of action stars and you go Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone, and you have to have Arnold Schwarzenegger in there. Number four could be a toss up of a lot of different people. You know, Keanu Reeves should be at the at that list as well. But um yeah, but ter- you know, having having Daniel Craig and Casino Royale from 2006 uh-huh. at number 36, oh, I, I think that deserves to be higher up. That, oh, that's yeah, a sure. great Bond movie. And by the way, Daniel Craig probably one of the best Bonds uh, next to Sean Connery. Sean Connery, yeah. You I know? mean, a lot of people would say that. You know, these lists are great fodder for us, like you and I, uh, to talk about to talk shop. And I'm curious what uh, you know what our audience thinks our top 10 uh, films are for action. And some of these movies are, are, are for me, frankly, just like, I don't understand why some of these things, like, I guess the warriors is a great film, but does it really deserve to be on the list? You yeah. Know? But you know, what about the born identity? Oh, uh, the, sure. You know, the, for, it's, it's at number 43. Come on. That is a great action movie. Rambo first blood and, and, part yeah. two at 45, David 45. Yeah, are you kidding Come me? On. Come on. on. I mean, you know, the fugitive that, is a great crazy. action movie too. And it's at 48 top gun Maverick at 49. Are you kidding me? Like what, what is the criteria here folks? <laughs> yeah, I I'm sorry, but this, uh, this list from variety is uh dubious at best clickbaity, <laughs> but you know what? It got me to it click. It's, it, it's clickbait. <laughs> it's clickbait. It got us to talk and it hopefully it has you thinking about your favorite action films. I love the action genre. And I hope there's many more to come, but surprising, but not surprisingly to me, the Fast and Furious movies are not listed. <laughs> so, uh, no, there's one. Oh, there uh, is fast, one. Fast Five. Oh, fat, well, okay. I guess yeah. if there's anyone to I, make I a list, what number it was at, it'll but be I'm fast not going five. back to the list because I've already clicked the bait. I already clicked <laughs> the bait. I'm not going back and doing it again. Well, I'm curious to see what uh, our fans are going to say. You know, we'll have it as what part of our poll of the week there on Spotify. So fill out the poll and, and let us know which one is your favorite or your top four action movies, your Mount Rushmore, if you will, for a future episode we'll discuss. Right now, sit back and relax because Matt O'Callaghan is in the green room and ready to chat for part two of our interview. Animator, director, sit back and enjoy right here on Skull Rock Podcast. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John, we're back again with uh, animation director, director, story artist, Matt O'Callaghan for part two of uh, his interview here on the Skull Rock podcast. Matt, welcome back. Man, this studio audience is going nuts for you. 
Thank you um, very much. Great. To yeah. I, I hope you enjoyed our green room and the sleeping bag we had set up for you and spending a week in the green room. We're having a fumigated now. Okay. okay. So <laughs> as, as we say with all our guests, you know, I mean, boy, Don Han, he made a mess of that uh, green room. You know? <laughs> of course. Uh, so Matt, we left off, you were talking about um, the little mermaid. And the fact that you did uh, Louis, uh, the chef, and you did uh, um, uh, Eric, some of Eric and some of, uh, uh, of Sebastian, uh, the crab. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you remember about The Little Mermaid? What, what sticks with you when you think back to that picture? Uh, you know what? It was another one of those special times. I think everybody at that moment in time, uh, you know, cynical as the animation people can be, I think they, when they read the script and, and, and saw some of the initial designs in the story and listened to John and Ron, I think they just got it. I think they really believed this was going to be a special movie. I don't know if they realized, we realized how special it was going to be, but you know, it wasn't a, a sour uh, a title at the studio that people were uh, disappointed to be on. I think they wanted to be on that. So luckily I was uh, on it from the very beginning and uh, uh, stayed on it through storyboarding and, uh, and, and then through animation. And, and it was just a really great time. And for me personally, it, it kind of, uh, you know, um, Mouse Detective and 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 Mickey's Christmas Carol and I was a little bit under Glenn's wing and even though I was animating I was animating under him and he would do corrections and everything and, and Mermaid was a little bit of a departure it was really I was like on my own and in my own units and I was able to uh, move move forward without um, you know being on that the life raft of Glenn. So it was So it was, was really out. like you you were out of the nest. You were yes. you were you were flying on your own. Yeah, exactly. So that was fun. That, that, that's like that. aw, that's awesome. Um yeah. and, and then you left. I left. Yeah right. how how did that all come about? Well that could be the dumbest thing I ever did or the smartest. I still don't know. But um at that moment in time um I finished up Mermaid and I think I got put on uh, like Rust Heroes Down Under at that time in story. And, uh, you know, I, I had, uh, it was at the time when um, they started to introduce the long contracts and um, up in that, up until that point, we didn't have a contract. We just were working there. You went and, from picture to picture. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. just an employee there and you're going to yeah. be there for the rest of your life. And then they started doing the contracts and the contract just kind of bumped me. It was kind of like, uh, here's your contract, and for the next five years, you're going to be an animator. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I kind of like want to do other things. You know what I mean? I had a, a little bit of a bug from doing a little bit of uh, directing on Sport Goofy. And, you know, when you're storyboarding, you're kind of directing. Right. You know what I mean? I don't want to take anything away from the directors, but, you know, you're doing shots and you're, you know, you're doing all those things that are, you're doing movie making. And that was exciting to me. And just the idea of being locked in a room, so to speak. And not that that would have ever happened, but it just didn't look good on the paper. And so I got a little 
itchy. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do this. I don't want to be this young and be, you know, you know, held, you know, without any say. And so I did a bold thing. I, I left. So I left right when Disney studios launched into the stratosphere. Well, you know, I, I mean, I was going to say that, you know, that back then it was, uh, uh, the American tale from Don Bluth and, and Steven Spielberg and who framed Roger rabbit and the little mermaid. And those three pictures, I always look at those three pictures as what ignited the renaissance of animation in, right. in, in the business, you know, right. it, it really was an exciting time. And, and you left and went on to Rover Dangerfield, which was a feature that was being put together outside of Disney. Right. Right. Yeah. And you know what, it, even though I wanted to be a director, I didn't have, um, it wasn't offered to me at the beginning. It was, it was more money than Disney, which I was surprised. And, um, and I, I like just the idea that it was, you know, at the time, Rodney Dangerfield was a great comic. And uh, I thought it was like different enough. You know what I mean? It wasn't just like doing another musical. It was actually sort of a little different. And and uh, we had a fantastic time. On it. it was a a painful end to that movie. But uh, um, who, who did that film? Well, it was uh, Warner Brothers and Hyperion. So I was okay. working for Hyperion, but it was a Warner Brothers label. But um, so here we were working on this and uh, working extremely hard. And, um, you know, we're an adult audience here, right? So yeah. basically what happened was at the very end, when we're about to release this as a family entertainment movie, and it didn't have anything that was not family related. It was wasn't like a family guy or anything. It was literally family related with Rodney. And, um, well, he got, uh, it was in the papers. He was, you know, suing Caesar palace because he burned his eyes in the sauna. And, uh, and then, you know, this is all over the media. And then they went back and allegedly, uh, uh said, you know, well, if you weren't with, you know, prostitutes and high on cocaine this may have not have happened it was something like that <laughs> and then i think warner brothers went okay there goes our family audience and the film never came out in the theater oh man so that just destroyed it, it, all it, of us it never got a theatrical release no it went it went direct to home video yeah no they may have put it in a small market it to you know but it was never i don't I, they may have tested it in the theater but from my memory i mean they might they might have opened it like you said for a week in some obscure town just so yeah. that they were contractually you know uh right uh, released it, you know, but you were a story artist, a character designer, a sequence director, and you did character animation. So you wore multiple hats on that picture. Right. Right. Exactly. And, 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 go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, I just so our audience knows the uh, Hyperion connection is Tom Wilhite, who was a film executive at Disney who left and set up the Hyperion film label. And Tom Wilhite is a guy who you don't hear his name a lot, but he had a big impact on the industry. You know, he gave Tim Burton his opportunity yep. to create Vincent the short, yep. and also to do the uh, half hour, um, um, uh, Frankenweenie. Yeah, 
the live the live action Frankenweenie before right. Tim got fired from the studio. But but Tom Wilhite is, is one of those guys that really knew, you know, he 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 knew talent and he could identify right. talent and give people opportunities. So I think it's worth giving him a shout out. Did you work well uh, with Tom a lot? Yeah, I worked with him for almost 10 years. So we had a good relationship um, with each other. And even though um, Rover was not um, uh, a director opportunity for me, shortly after that, I I got the Itsy Bitsy Spider short. And so that was my uh, my first uh, like legitimate, you know, uh, directing credit. So that was pretty cool because. And, and, uh, and Itsy Bitsy Spider, how long was it? When you say a short, it wasn't 30 minutes. No, seven minutes. It was a seven minute short. Okay. Yeah. And that was pretty funny because uh, he came to me. He goes, You want to direct? Don't you? Yeah. I go, Yeah. He goes, Here's a song from Paramount, the Itsy Bitsy Spider song sung by Carly Simon. He goes, Here. And I listened to it and I went, There's nothing I can do with this. So. <laughs> So I, I'm thinking there's nothing I can do with this song. So I put together these storyboard sequences of, of uh, I said, it would be really fun to have this little spider get chased by an exterminator and be super violent. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I showed that he, and Tom was just so great. He was so supportive. He goes, so you want to go to the head of the studio, Brandon Tartikoff, and you want to pitch him this version of the sh- of the short that he said to do a song by? I go, yeah, because you know you're young and stupid. <laughs> so, go over to the boards and and I basically go, this is what I want to do. And he just walked around like silently, like rubbing his chin. And I'm excited talking about, yeah, and this explosion happens and this and that, and pulls out guns and this and that. And he walked around. And he said, "Yeah, okay." And he left the he left the room. And I went to town. I go, "What does that mean?" He goes, "Well, let's do it." So he abandoned the Carly Simon song, and uh, and then uh, that was the result of Itsy Bitsy Spider Short. And that's a fun short if you ever you want to watch. Yeah, it. no, I I remember seeing. I haven't seen it in years, but I remember seeing it. And that led to the Itsy Bitsy Spider series. Yes. So that was another one of those weird, like, dog legs. So uh, first of all, the funny thing about Itsy Bitsy Spider was, you know, I'm watching TV and we're trying to figure out who to cast as the exterminator. And, and I said, oh, this is kind of an interesting guy. I wonder how he would be to work with and be in animation. And that guy was Jim Carrey. So we had uh, hired... Uh, Jim and he came on to do the voice of the exterminator. So that was fun. How was, how was Jim to work with? Fantastic. He was really great. He was easy. Total, total professional and funny as hell, right? Funny as hell. And there were a lot of times like um, where I would, I didn't know, I wasn't confident enough to like, you know, come up with a lot of stuff on the spot, but I brought in some storyboards and I'd go, Hey Jim, I have this action. Do you want to, what do you think? And he'd go, oh, and he he would just rattle off lines. So he was really, you know, he's phenomenal at improv, and I completely took advantage of him. So it was a nice relationship. We worked out well together. And, and did he come on for the series? No, he didn't. Um, uh, it, you know, that didn't have the budget that 
would, would have been. And a, a right after Itsy Bitsy Spider, he exploded with like yeah. a mass mask and Ace okay. Ventura. The Ace yeah. Ventura was the first one. And yeah, there was no. He, he just took off from there. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, so. um, when, when you created you, so you're, you're credited as the creator of the series an executive creative consultant. Did you stay on the, the series the full time? A little bit, you know, um, I think back then I didn't quite realize, you know, the, uh, what television could be for me. And I was more of like, I'm a feature guy. I'm an animation. I'm a director. I'm a feature guy. <laughs> and, you know, and I didn't quite really get it. So it was unfortunate. I didn't, but, I was involved in it, but not to the level I thought I was, should have been, or, you know, or just wanted to be involved. So right, right. it just didn't, wasn't of any interest to me until the next series. That was the one that, that so, yeah. So talk, talk about that. How did you get involved with life with Louie and working with Louie Anderson? Well, I think Louie and Tom were talking about, um, you know, just, Tom saw him, thought it was a great comic. And, and then, uh, you know, of course, Tom said, Hey, would you ever do anything in animation? And who's not going to say, yeah. And so he goes, yeah, I got a guy you should meet. You know, he's worked with comedians, Rodney Dangerfield, Jim Carrey. And so that was of interest to Louie. And, and then <laughs> Tom, Tom said, Matt, you got to meet Louie. So I, he puts me in a room with him and then, uh, Louis goes, yeah, because Tom goes, yeah, he's got an idea for, for an animated cartoon. And I go, okay. So I sat down with Louis and he goes, Louis goes, yeah, I got this idea of this character that would go. <laughs> <laughs> and that was his pitch. And I'm staring at him going, what do I do with, with this sound? You know what I mean? So, um, but what was it? Was it one of his characters? No, it was no. just the thing he did. Uh. So to make a long story very short was I didn't know anything about Louie. I knew I got burned by Rodney. So I wanted to listen to Louie. So I listened to a lot of his stand-up. And I go, this guy's clean. He doesn't do any vulgarity at all. He doesn't even swear. And he talked a lot about his family. Uh-huh. So I did some drawings of him as a kid. And I pitched him you know, Life with Louie, which was stories of his youth with him as a narrator. And he played both the little kid and the father. It was exactly what the series was. And he says, I don't want to do it. I go, why? He goes, well, when I'm on stand-up, when I do stand-up, that's my thing. Nobody edits me. Nobody writes anything for me. That's my thing. And my family's important. And I said, okay, I will honor that. I can do it. I can do it and make it your voice. And so he was reluctant, but then the greatest story is, so, you know, when you do caricatures of people, some people don't like their caricatures. Some people do. It's a caricature. So here I'm drawing caricatures of him as an eight year old boy. Now Louis is a big guy, you know, right. Real life. He is pushing, you know, three spins on the, on the dial, on, on the scale. <laughs> yeah. So here I'm drawing this little chunky, I'll say that for to be to be nice, little chunky character of him. And I said, okay, now I'm gonna I gotta show him these to to sell him on this idea. 
So I picked a public place. <laughs> it was like the Formosa Cafe down in like. Uh, oh, yeah. Florida, uh, right? Down, right? Da- yeah. Down on Melrose across from yeah. Paramount. Yeah. And I go, it's got to be a public place. So he can't yell at me. <laughs> and I did all these drawings and had them mounted on boards. And then we went in and pitched him the idea again, showed him these drawings. And he, he's staring at him, speechless, looking at him, no expression on his face. And Dave and Al John, he literally gets up and starts walking around the restaurant going, hey, what do you think? Does this look like me? And they would look at him, look at him, and they would, yeah. <laughs> They're laughing. He go to the next table. Hey, what do you think? Does this look like me? Is this me? Ah, and he got great response. He came back. He goes, okay, let's do this. <laughs> That's a fantastic story, man. Awesome. That really yeah. is great. And, and yeah. so that led to, um, you know, what was it? Three or four seasons. Three seasons. seasons. Yeah. How many episodes yeah. per season? Uh, 12 or so. So we were uh, a couple so you of did... seasons away from being syndicated, which was very disappointing. Yeah. yeah. When, when they canceled? Yeah, yeah they, get, well, they canceled it because um, Fame Saban at the time ran Fox, and this was one of the shows that wasn't his. Uh, okay. And so um, even though he was running the network, and it, it was one of, it was like a, it was like a number one show in the time slot almost every time we aired, even in reruns. And it was always number two or three of the whole uh, morning block back in the day. That's how they did yeah. it. And uh, so it was a very popular show, um, but it wasn't his. And he just said, he just whacked it one day. Wow. Yep. It's, wow. A, shame. it's a shame because a- it's a really good show. Yeah, that. Thank you, thank you. That it was, was a lot of fun to watch was, when I was. It was a lot of fun to watch when I was, uh, when I was in high school and and getting into college was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it was. It was very unique um, show at that time. I remember pitching it all around town, and um, you know, you had mentioned Page Master in the break, but the, um, uh, we had pitched it and whatever went around to every network. Louie and I and Tom and. And they're like, oh, and I don't get it. Like, does he have a cape? Does he fly? Like, what's his superpower? And nobody really got it until it was dramatically, um, I won't say copied, but I'll say copied. There were a lot of shows that copied its sort of just format and just, you know, it didn't, didn't have to be a superhero. It could just be kids on a playground. Right. You know what I mean? So there were yeah. a lot of shows that, came after Louie, but at the time it was a tough egg to crack. But Margaret Lesh over at Fox really uh, liked it. And she's the one that was a champion for the show. And, uh, you know, it, it did really well. So I'm very, very proud of it. So so you finished that and you went on and you did Page Master and Asterisk Con- Conquest oh, America? <clears throat> Page Master came from, you know, I had pitched Louie everywhere and Fox was sitting on it. And then I finally went to Tom going, Tom, I just can't sit around and wait anymore. I go, let me, you know, I got an offer to help out on Page Master. They need some animators to help finish the show. I go, let me just go over there. I said, I'm going to go over there. And, and if the show sells, I'm coming back. And so then I went over and helped out, finished Page Master. 
And I think Mar I helped Mark Dindle a little bit on uh, Catstone Dance storyboarding. And then Life of Louis sold, and I went back over there and, and did the show. So that's how that happened. Who did Catstone Dance? Is that Was that Don Turner. Bluth? Turner. Oh, no, no, that was Turner. That's right. Yeah. yeah and, and, Mar and Mark Dindle directed that, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that's uh -huh. right. Right. So that was that. And then you asked about Asterix. That was just a freelance. I don't even remember where the company was, whatever. I just remember. It was probably a French company. <clears throat> it was yeah. a French company that, that was just using animators probably all over the world to yeah, get their right. picture finished. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know what? I had forgotten about it for so many years, and then I would see it on my IMDb, IMDb and i go, I never worked on that, and I would try to delete it. And until finally I found some scenes in my home and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I did work on that. <laughs> it's completely forgotten about it. You, you know what though? I mean, that, that brings up a great topic and that's freelance because that's a huge part of uh, people working in animation. They're always picking up freelance and, and, you know, I can't tell you how many commercials I did uh, on a freelance It's over a hundred or more, you know, that I did, but you know, you, you, all of a sudden you see something somewhere and you go, Oh crap. I, I, I worked on that and you've had totally <laughs> forgotten about it, you know, over the years. So there, there's tons of those yeah. kinds of moments, yeah. I think. You're, you're absolutely right. And <clears throat> I actually had to finally start writing stuff down because I had completely forgotten. I had worked on something some stuff so because some stuff you know doesn't really stack it doesn't really feel very special you just kind of dismiss it and move on but yeah you know, other things are you know kind of your anchors for your career and those are the things you hold on to so um anyway so and, and then after mm -hmm. After cats don't dance, you, there's just a whole bunch of stuff you're going yeah. from one project to the next, right? <clears throat> yeah, that that kind of became the you know I started flying around doing things. I I, had, <clears throat> I think I went back to Disney like almost five times in my career up until like even this last March. Um, but I had bounced all over there, and you know I had worked on uh, with more things at Hyperion. I worked for. Um, I think after uh, Life of Louie um, ended, we, there wasn't much thing much going on there um, at um, Hyperion for me. And I went to this little place called Dream Quest Images. You probably remember that. It was a yeah. Disney. Yeah, it, it was it was an independent visual effects uh, company that Disney eventually bought and changed the name to the Secret Lab. Yeah, right. Yeah. <clears throat> which which ended up bringing me back to Disney again because I. I had worked there and went over there to interview and, um, and uh, Andrew Milstein actually was interviewing me because he was running over there and he goes, and I said, Hey, Andrew, I gotta, I gotta tell you guys, you guys are very nice to me and everything, but I gotta tell you, I, I said, I don't know anything about computers. And they said, that's okay. We have a lot of people who know computers that don't know how to animate. Come on board. And uh, so I worked with a lot of great people just sitting over their shoulder or doing little sketches yeah. and um, working on things. And, and I had worked on um, like Inspector Gadget for a little while. And then uh, a, real, a real funny story was that they were doing this action, Brian De Palma, Mission to Mars movie. And they go, Matt, we need you to uh, 
help us with this sand monster that, you know, sucks up the astronaut, uh, astro- astronauts. And I said, huh, is it a comedy? no it's serious i go okay i'll give it a shot (laughs) mission to mars mission to mars yeah it was yeah i worked on that but then they full folded back into the secret lab over the empire over there and that brought me back to disney again right right and and, uh and then you did 102 dalmatians i did i worked with uh um uh Kevin Lima on that. Um as and, that, and that was a live that was yeah, it was a live action. Yep. You know, just kind of helping them with the CG dogs and then I did uh a little bit on Treasure Planet, which was funny because at the time Glenn goes, Hey, you're back here. Hey, you're back here. We're doing Treasure Planet. And so he said, I'm doing silver, you want to help out? And I had done a couple scenes. And I was going to, you know, go back into that unit. And then Tom Schumacher calls me and he goes, yeah, Matt, I can't, I can't keep you on. I got to let you go. Yeah, like, What do you mean you got to let me go? And he goes, well, you're not under contract. And they got all these guys coming off of, um, um, uh, the underwater one. What was it? Oh, oh Atlantis. Atlantis. He goes, they're all under contract. I got to fill their spot. So you're out. I go, ah. Goes, yeah, and, okay. yeah. That I was gonna say. That's really what it, that they they had to put people because they had they had done all these contracts and then they were saddled with people because if they they if they wanted to get rid of them they couldn't so they had to put them on something. Yeah. So he had to let me go, but he was fantastic because he brought me back in like a couple months later to do the Mickey Mouse. Uh, oh, twi- twice, test. twice, twice upon nope. a Christmas. No, nope, no, maybe it was literally a 30 second. Mickey oh, Mouse that test. was, that was the first time they were doing a CG Mickey Mouse. First time Mickey was CG. Yeah. Yep. So I did uh, a little 30 second test and it was really well received. And then I moved over to Mickey's twice upon a Christmas with it, which it was at the time. I was just over there storyboarding and it was 2D. And then, but the, uh, at the time Eisner said, we got to do Mickey and CG. And he says, what about that test you guys are doing over there? Or that test we did. And then he said, what about that Mickey, uh, about twice on a Christmas, let's make that CG. And they go, well, good news. The producer and the director who did the Mickey Mouse test they're also on Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas. He goes, great, let's make that 3D. So we were <laughs> halfway through that show, and it went from 2D to 3D. Wow. To completely make it CG, you know. And did you, have the, did you have the budget to do it? No, nah, they probably adjusted it. But you know, yeah. that, that's then it became. Uh, and, uh, and were you happy with the way it turned out? You know, I was, I, I am very happy with it, uh, with being the first, um, CG Mickey and, uh, really the first CG, um, you know, a long format, um, project that Disney tunes was doing, um, you know, and the limitations of just budget and schedule and everything. I think it holds up pretty well, even, you know, um, in, 
even today, 20 years later, I think it holds up pretty well. Yeah, I mean, you know something, considering uh, the infancy of CG animation, uh, especially on characters uh, back then, you know? Yeah. I mean, the software has advanced so much, right. um, you know, t- uh, today. But, yeah. So from there, you went on to Curious George. Yeah, then I left Disney again and was hired over on Curious George, and that was a, a, another rough one. Um, yeah, what was, was the what was the deal with that? Was it why was it a rough picture? Because it turned out well. Thank you. Yeah, it it was rough just because um, they they were there was another director on it originally, and they had spent a year and a half. Um, without any footage that, you know, and I, and I don't know, um, the director very well, but I believe it was just, you know, bad timing for her because I think it was, you know, the studio was indecisive. They kept changing their mind, you know, you know, you know, the drill. And so when they hired, uh, this decided to make a director switch and bring me in, it was really about, um, getting it done. So, we ended up changing the whole story and, 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 uh, powering through, but, um, it, 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 you know, we had to make, we had to, we had to make it in a year and a half, you know, to be in, and, in theaters. And, yeah. and there was a lot of freelancers that jumped on to help out, right? Well, we used 12 studios around the globe right. to do it. Yeah. So it was uh, very challenging in regards to time zones and, animation studios and and so forth but um it was a lot of fun and uh and i think it was just my years of doing like television and and just having the uh uh you know knowing how fast you have to work in tv that it was that enabled me to have the confidence to to do that film that quickly so it all that stuff paving the way early on um sort of help uh, me get that thing done, you know, in that amount of time. You, you've worked consistently. I mean, you, you've just gone from one project to the next and, and worked all around town. Because I, I, yeah. I was just going to say, I'm sitting here looking like after Curious George, you, you went back as a storyboard artist on Cinderella three, a twist in time. And then you did National Lampoon's uh, Bad yeah. Boy, and then you did, and then you did Open Season Two, which was over at yeah. Sony, and then you were back yeah. at Disney for Disney's Christmas Carol, yeah, as, right. as a motion capture artist. Yeah. So the the uh, the Sony thing was was fun because um, you know after Curious George, that was probably my longest stretch in not working because it was. You know, the, you know, after you do a film like that, you know, all of a sudden the agents are coming after you and they got all these great big ideas for you and you're taking meetings and reading scripts and nothing ever happened in that regard. So that. And nobody's paying you. And nobody's paying you. So you have all this, uh, the dreams of doing all these great projects, but you know, nothing actually kind of worked there. Um, and then when I got hired, uh, over at, uh, development a little bit on Sony and that led to open season two. It was pretty funny. They basically brought a script in and then they said, can you read this over the weekend? And then I went in and they said, uh, you have some thoughts on it? I go, yeah, I have some thoughts on it. And then they said, um, well, uh, would you be interested in directing this? I go, sure. 
And they said, well, it has to be done in 13 months. Wow. So I'm looking at a script and they said, it has to be done in 13 months. And I said, okay, let's do it. And uh, we did it. We wow. did it in 13 months. Wow. And again, it was just the, uh, just having that experience of uh, TV and working fast, you know. Yeah, that and also it was established characters from the previous film. Right. Correct, so you didn't correct. have you didn't have to invent the characters. That's time saving. You know, right. you know what their personalities are. That's helpful. So it yes. helps you speed up that that pre-production process quite a bit. Right. I think the thing that was um, interesting is with the conversations with the studio at the time was, you know, this is great. But if you want to do it in 13 months, you have to do it differently. In other words, you know, how they rehash things over and over and over again, the indecisive nature of, of developing or putting up one sequence and having it redone 13 times and stuff like that. And so we can't do that on this thing. And then I even said, we're going to, let's try something different. Let's, I'm not going to show you storyboards. We're going to do story reels. We'll show you sequences at a time. And um, that was easier because that, you know, they get broad notes and you move it on. You address it. Right. I go, you'll see it in the mix. Right. <laughs> it was just kind of, so it was, it was good to, uh, you know, have the, uh, again, experience to be able to. Hey, hey, that. And the head of the studio of animation was Pam Marston, right? Yes. And uh -huh. she's, she's terrific. She's a terrific person because she knows, she knows animation. Yeah, and we worked together on the Mickey Mouse CG test, right. and she was the producer of Mickey's Twice Minor Christmas. Right. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Right. So so. Uh, so that makes that makes it a lot e easier. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. you're stepping into into something with people you know. Yep. Yep. So then it was uh, just all over the place again. You know what I mean? Like I had left there and worked yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say you did you did a couple of shows and then you went to Warner Brothers again to do I taught I taught a putty cat <laughs> cat yeah. and and Daffy's Rhapsody. Yeah, so that was a great time. It was like I I had uh, went to see uh, a meeting with Sam Register over at Warner Brothers and he's he said, "Hey, we, I didn't even know what the meeting's about." And he goes, "Hey, we want to do." Uh, um, some new Coyote Roadrunner shorts. We go, really? And then I, luckily in my bag, I had uh, Itsy Bitsy Spider, which is, you know, completely violent over the top. And I showed it that and they loved it. And then they said, hey, we would like to, uh, you to do this. And I said, well, I got one question for you. Are you going to go old school violence? Or are you going to do politically correct violence? And he goes, no, old school. I go, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Cartoon violence. We love it. Yeah. So, um, and of course, the challenge there was, you know, um, doing Chuck Jones, Coyote Roadrunner in CG. So it was taking, you know, the 2D sensibility. And now all of a sudden they're in 3D. And how are people going to warm up to that? What are the... What are the things we can do? What are the things we can't do? And um, so, so that was Coyote Falls. Coyote Falls, right? Yeah. 
followed by uh, fur, fur of flying, fur of flying, and rabbit rider. I think yeah. rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we had done those, and those were in stereoscopic too. It was really right. cool. So um, they were really super fun. And one of the things I learned really quickly on that was, um, you know, the old cartoons that are like seven minutes would, you know, you'd set up a gag, it would go bad, it would fade to black, it'd fade up, it'd be a new gag, you'd set that up. It was seven minutes of that. And these had to be like uh, three minutes. And I kind of went to Sam and I said, yeah, we can't do that format. That's what do you mean we can't do that format. It's got to be that format. I go, we don't have time. I mean, you're going to do one, start setting up a second one, the thing's going to be over. I go, we got to pick one prop and, and use it for the entire show, for the entire, and he, you know, like anybody, you can say anything you want, but you have to show it. So, you know, the bungee one, Coyote Falls, is used throughout the whole thing. The Coyote, uh, you know, for a flying, he's got this flying contraption helmet. It's used throughout the whole short. It's just one series of gags, but it's all it's the same short. And same thing with uh, Rabbit Rider with the um, Segway, really. Uh, and if anybody, if nobody has seen those, you've got to watch them. They're really great. Oh, they're they're absolutely fantastic. And really and also it just seemed like that was at a point where Warner Brothers was trying to get back into the game. Yeah. And, and, and then the plug gets pulled again. <clears throat> yeah, and so... After the three coyote shorts, we pitched three more, and I said, "Well, let's use let's do one more coyote roadrunner because we got all those assets and everything." Because Sam wanted to do these these two other ones, and he basically came in one day. It was again came in with a CD and said, "Listen to these songs. These are Mel Blanc songs from the fifties." He goes, "We got to make these." I go, "Make the song." And then that was, I thought I taught Putty Tat and uh, Daffy's Rhapsody. And so, of course, there were a couple challenges there. One was uh, their songs, so they're not made to be sort of a story. So I had to listen to the songs and try to figure out how to make a story out of these two songs. And uh, how long were the the songs? uh, They were about two and a half, three minutes. They were on a children's album, so they weren't really even made, they weren't designed to be uh, um, uh, short. They were designed to be songs. So what did you do? Bookend them essentially? Yeah. And then I had to come up with, uh, you know, just what the, to get the tone in it. Cause the, the Tare saw putty tat was like a duet between Sylvester and, and Tweety. It was just like a little, so it didn't even have the, the sensibility of the cartoon. So I would pitch it like, that, 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 you know, I thought I thought I'd put it, and I would do the thing, and then bang, I'd do a sound effect. So I'd do these sound effects after the, the little verses, and then I had to create the story of him sneaking in, and, and it has um, Tweety singing the song. He's hitting him with frying pans and doing all kinds of stuff. And so that was a lot of fun to try to figure that out. Um, the other challenge to that was it was a song that was recorded in. Uh, mono, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so they had to make it stereo, right? Right. So we found a company that um, listened to the song and put it in the computer, and they would little by little they would strip the music away. Yeah. Until they got most of just the vocals, 
and then we um, uh, used another live or- orchestra, so it would be in stereo. Yeah. So, but it's really no no blank singing. It's his original thing. So that, that must was, that must have been a lot of fun to work on. It was very cool, but it was not advertised like that, yeah. and um, they kind of buried it. So what did they do with those five uh, uh, shorts? The, the, um, did they put them in theaters? Um, technically, there were six. Um, <clears throat> so they, I'll just give you the, they did. They paired them with um, Warner Brothers um, live action movies, family movies. And um, the first one they did was uh, Coyote Falls with um uh cats and dogs to the revenge of kitty galore okay you guys all remember that right i, I, I right? vaguely i vaguely remember that matt <laughs> yeah where's the cheering audience so you gotta cue that for... <laughs> but uh so the good news was they paired it with the movie and gave it to critics the critics reviewed it and said, great short. We love it. It was so awesome. Leave after the short. <laughs> and so That's... I'm thinking, oh, this is good news for us. It was bad news for us because then the next movie that came out, they didn't put it, the short on for the review. And then they put it together and put it in the theater. So nobody even knew they were there. Uh... And That's how they did it. Uh, that's awful. Yeah. So, um, and then they decided not to do any more. So at the very end, um, uh, this is my second bout with Warner Brothers. <laughs> so at the very end, they, uh, we pitched three more shorts and then they went, yeah, but these are great ideas, but we don't have, um, we don't have, uh, any movies to put them out with any family movies. And I'm like, going, are you kidding me? Put them with like the hangover movies. I mean, if you put a coyote and roadrunner short on that beginning of the hangover, <clears throat> that would be, people would flip out over that. It doesn't have to be on just family movies. And um, that didn't happen. And they go, yeah, you know what? When we get some family movies, we'll uh, think about it. Wow. And that was that done. But then the high point of your career happened. Uh- uh-oh. I called you. Yeah. And you, and you worked on Wild About Safety, Timon mm. and Pumba, Safety Smart, on the go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> See, the audience knows it, and they're going nuts. <laughs> right, right. And uh, that was great fun. It was great fun working with you. It was it was these short little things that were really fun and uh I, I had a great time. It was terrific. Good time. Well, uh, you know something. Uh, it was. It's always great, obviously, working with you. But um, I, I really hold those films in high regard uh, because they, they, they were fun, but they had a safety message to them. And yeah. and, and you, you know, Matt, those films have been seen by more than 200 million people oh. worldwide. Seriously. And that and that number is 10 years old. Wow, that's my okay. biggest audience ever. And, and and the thing I will tell you is that those films are running on a channel at the Disney resorts around wow. the world. 
And and I constantly get notes from people who have visited Walt Disney World or were in Paris at Paris Disneyland Paris telling me that their kids were watching those films and love them. Wow. I got to move that up on my resume. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I think it's amazing. You know, it but, we, but we, we did have a lot of fun working on, uh, on safety, smart on the go, which was the transportation one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we know we did have a lot of fun and you know what? Somebody actually just brought that up recently and they like pulled them up on YouTube and stuff on that. Yeah. Way. Oh, you can find them online on YouTube at the underwriters lab uh, website uh, at all of the Disney resorts. It's on one of the resort channels uh, playing in the hotel rooms. I, I yeah, mean, it's, oh, it's hilarious, fun. you know? <laughs> You know, it's amazing the impact some of these small projects that at the time you're not really thinking that it's it's that big of a deal. It's like another job or something. But the impact that some of these things have on people all over the world is really amazing. That's uh, yeah, that is amazing. I didn't know those numbers. That's fantastic. Very so. There you go. The pinnacle of your career. Yeah. Now I could puff my (laughs) chest up all over again. That's pretty awesome. So, so Matt, you know, uh, let, let's talk a little bit because you you were back at Disney. You did like a seven year run uh, working yeah, on yeah. some television shows. Yeah. Um, and uh, what what show what, what show were you working on? Well, um, really quickly, right before that, I I did the uh, I was uh, on the Alvin and the Chipmunks movies, the Road Chip. So that was a lot of fun because I was an animation supervisor on a live action movie. So that was a real hoot because I had <clears throat> never really done anything like that. So that was, you know, going on location and doing all sure. that. So that was a good time. And I'll be happy to uh, to mention that that was the uh, career uh, ending uh, movie of the album. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, that was the last one. I don't, you know, they'll probably make more, but at the at the moment, that was the, the end. Of the were, 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 were the were the Bagdasarians involved in it? Yeah, they were, yeah. and they were good. They were they were uh, very supportive of, of me and everything. They were they were a lot of fun. They were good. Awesome. Good. Yeah. And, so. and you also worked on Space Jam: A New Legacy. I did not. So that was okay. So that was, so that was one that's a bogus credit on your IMDb. That is one, yes. So um, there uh, are a couple of those. They're confusing you with another Matt O'Callaghan. Yeah, I think there was a composite. There's a compositor out in the business, and I think he may have worked on that one. But got it. So, got but, it. Uh, yeah, but, but I ended 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 up getting back to Disney, which I'm sure we're running out of time anyway. We could end on that, but yeah, seven years. I I was I, I went into an interview, and they were looking for episode directors for the Tangled series. Um, and, um, it was kind of several months off, but they had mentioned somehow in the conversation that there, there were these little shorts that they were doing, um, that they wanted to do. And they had done a, they're like little interstitials, you know, like just to keep the, you know, the, the uh, series alive, you know, and they would do these little things and they had mentioned that they had done a couple of them prior, but they, wanted to amp up the humor a little bit. And I go, I can do that. (laughs) 
I can make them funny. I think I can make them funny. Do you want them violent? Do you want them? <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, they were kind enough to um, give me these a uh, handful of these uh, shorts, little, little two minute things to do. And then, um, so I was able to direct those. And then afterwards they needed some help in post-production and uh, the Tangled series. So I stuck around for that. And then uh, that led me to uh, uh, people down the hall. Um, they were doing another uh, Mickey Mouse show and they were doing uh, Mickey Mouse Funhouse this time, not Clubhouse, right. Funhouse. So they had asked me to come down and uh, be one of the directors on that team. So I, the funniest story there was they asked me and I go, okay. So I started on a Monday and Thursday we were all sent home for COVID. And then three years later. Now, you know, were you, were you working from home for three years? Yeah. Like I said, I was, uh, you know, they just put me in a brand new office down the hall and they wow. started on Monday, Thursday, they sent us home. So the entire, um, series was produced, um, remotely by the crew, uh, you know, how, you know, how did you enjoy that? You know, um, it was, you know, like anything, you just kind of adapt. It was, uh, I think it was challenging at first, but, uh, you know, until everybody got into a groove. But I think once everybody got into a groove, it, it worked out well. And, and, and you were just uh, doing like Zoom meetings and talking with people over Zoom and, and artists were showing your artwork through Zoom and all of that. And you just kind of, yeah, like you said, adapted to a new way of working. Yeah, absolutely. And then people fell in love with it. And then when they started bringing people back to the studio, they didn't want to go back. But, yeah. um, but anyway, so I uh, um, did a few seasons of that and, uh, it's a good show. It's, it's a uh, really colorful, it's really yeah. well done. And here was Mickey again. I can't get away from him. But- I think it's, I think it's <laughs> awesome. Let, let, let me ask you this question. Cause we, we are bumping up against time, yeah. but yeah. Um, I, I think this would be a good way to kind of end our interview with you. What do you, what do you think about the state of the animation business? You know, cause when we got into it, like Disney was the only studio really doing features, except, you know, you had, the Ralph Bakshi or Don Bluth trying to get one off the ground here and there, but consistently Disney was really the studio. And then Saturday morning you had filmation, Hanna Barbera, Ruby Spears, and a few boutique studios that were doing commercials and special project kind of stuff. Now it just seems like there there's dozens of studios you know, yeah. I mean, uh, all over town doing everything from gaming to feature films, to television. And it's like, everybody's got their own television studio and all of this right, stuff. Right. But in a sense, when you look at what we've gone through over the last three, four decades, what, what's your, what's your thought on the state of the industry? Well, I think it's pretty exciting. I mean, <clears throat> you know, like you said, when, when we were young and there weren't a lot of choices um, of studios or styles and here you not only have um, you know junior animation you have regular series animation and then you have adult animation which didn't even exist back then right the big mouths and the family guys you know you just didn't have that 
So and, and, and The Simpsons and Futurama. And Simpsons, yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So I think, um, you know, for, for young people in the business, they could really, uh, you know, gravitate to something that kind of moves them or appeals to them because, you know, listen, we do our best work when we're excited about what we're working on. Right. So um, I really like the idea that there are so many choices. Now they may not all appeal to everybody and, but that's okay. But um, it's really nice that the, you know, there's CG animation, well, there's not very much 2D animation, but there's a, a, a lot of, you know, everything that's CG animation still has to be drawn, you know, designed. So there, yeah. um, but I, I still think it's an exciting time. And then, and just with the, with the, the hybrids with using computer and they're able to change the style, like the spider verse and be able to, to do so many cool things, you know, really everything is just wide open now we were so much more limited back then so it's it's exciting time i think there's definitely i think a uh, a much wider creative palette today because of the tools that are available right absolutely so um so if people are uh young and they're they're young artists and they're listening to this then i think that's a great takeaway though is just that they're they don't have to be uh you know, uh, stuck in a corner, you know, where they don't want to work on something. They, they could uh, work on anything. But the important but, thing, I think, is just that there's something to learn anywhere you go. And that's really a, a valuable lesson, I think. But you know something, I think what's interesting, and you were probably ahead of the curve when you left uh, after Little Mermaid to go on to Rover Dangerfield, the business has become much more transient like live action. People are working more on a project. And when the project finishes, they're going off and working at other studios on other projects. Yes. Yes. And, and that could be great if you got the jobs that are uh, rolling in. Otherwise it could be very, very difficult, but uh, you know, we love this art form. We're going to keep digging and scratching and and we're going to go to where people want to work with us. And hopefully we're, um, excited on the, to the projects that are, um, you know, presented to us. I think that's great. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I was excited to have you, Matt O'Callaghan, on the Skull Rock podcast. Uh, you know, Al John and I were really looking forward to uh, this interview. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you again uh, in the future. So- and clearly you're an audience favorite. Uh, oh, by the way, Dave, by the way, the, yeah, the, kid, ahead, the, kids, the kids at the house are huge fans of Mickey Mouse, Mouse Funhouse. So my oh. hat's off to you, sir. Uh, oh, thank you very yeah, much. So much, thank so you. much no. of your work is in, in high rotation in our household for the kiddos. So. Well, well, thank you. Well, thanks a lot. You guys, I really had a good time. And Dave, uh, love you, man. You're always, uh, uh, been, I've known you for so many years. It's, it's really terrific being able to participate in this. So, Al John, great meeting you. This is a lot of fun. So, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. Your attention, please. <laughs> now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. Oh, yeah. Another wonderful show in the can and the man himself. For number two, Matt O'Callaghan. 
Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was a great conversation with him. I, you know, I always enjoy getting together with Matt, uh, and, and just, you know, shooting the breeze with him and he's always got some great stories. And, and also I have to tell you, Al John, it is, uh, surprising sometimes when we have these guests on because there's stories that pop up that I had never heard from. Yeah. You know, I never heard of them. Yeah. You know, I, for all the years I've, I've known Matt, I, I never heard that story, uh, about him and Zemeckis on who framed Roger rabbit. Oh yeah. And you guys worked you in know? the film. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I worked on the film with him and I, I, I had never heard him tell that story. So I, I think that's, uh, awesome. You know, it's, it's funny to me because he's had so much, he's done so much, uh, for animation and just entertainment. I mean, the life with Louis stories are great because Louis Anderson is such a beloved comic. And I can tell you that when I met Louis Anderson several years back in Las Vegas, he couldn't have been more nice to mm. me as just a fan. And so the, the stories about that and working on his various shows, I mean, is is really great. So, well, looking forward to having him back on the show again, uh, once again, I, I feel like we've only still just scratched the surface. Even after two interviews, he's got so many more stories to tell. So Absolutely. I can't wait to check that out. Hey, gang, once again, I encourage you. Thank you so much uh, for listening to the end of this show. And I encourage you to wherever uh, you listen, to subscribe, if you will, leave us those five-star reviews and do us a solid share the show, too, to your friends. And uh, let them know that you love the Skull Rock podcast. We would certainly appreciate that. You can follow us on LinkedIn. You know, Dave and I are both on LinkedIn. You can also check us out on the show page, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Great ways to get in touch with us. Also send us those emails, if you will. Dave or Aljon at SkullRockPodcast.com. A quick plug for me and uh, Dining at Disney Podcast. Um, it's almost been 10 years uh, hosting this. So if you're a big fan of Disney and Disney food, check out me and my wife, Kristen, and Kat as we talk about Disney Park food every single week. Dave? Yeah, you know, Al John, I wanted to let all of our listeners know that this this Thursday, July 20th, I'll be doing another Facebook Live with Neil Cantor from the wonderful world of animation. And this month, we're going to be talking about Disney and World War II Ooh. because July is an anniversary for the release of Victory Through Air Power. Wow. So we're going to be talking about Victory Through Air Power as well as a bunch of World War II behind the scenes stuff at the Disney Studios. So uh, tune in. That's going to be 5 o'clock uh, Pacific time on Thursday, uh, July 20th. I like and, it. And uh, I'll be posting on my Facebook and various social media. I think I'll be putting it up on Facebook, Instagram, probably LinkedIn. If you want to tune into that, it would be great. We have a lot of fun with those Facebook lives. I love it. Absolutely. And, Check it out. Yeah. And, and finally, if you're interested in getting a signed copy of one of my books, please visit the publisher at theoldmillpress.com. And with that, I would say go out and have a fantastic week, everybody. Enjoy yourselves. Try to stay cool because there's a huge heat dome over much of the United States. Uh, so stay cool, and we'll see you back here next Monday right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Goh, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. 
you are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. Become a supporter of Skull Rock Podcast with small monthly donations to help sustain future episodes for just 99 cents a month. You can do that just like Lindsay and Joshua. Thank you so much for your support of our show. Be sure to click our link to support the show at skullrockpodcast.com forward slash support.